Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak on a mid-20s episode of the Guest Mock Draft Series. Today, we have for the New York Jets at number 23, Joe Caparoso as our guest. And then for the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 24, we have Christopher Carter. These are two very informative and entertaining guests. But to let you know what the board is as we get to their picks, do a little recap for you. From memory. <sighs> From memory. Trevor Lawrence went number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Zach Willis, number two to the Jets. Justin Fields, number three to the Niners. Trey Lance, number four to the Falcons. Jamar Chase, number five to the Bengals. Kyle Pitts, number six to the Dolphins. Jalen Waddle, number seven to the Lions. Penny Sewell, number eight to the Panthers. Owusu Koromoa, number nine to the Broncos. Patrick Sertan, number 10 to the Cowboys. Rayshon Slater, 11 to the Giants. Devontae Smith, 12 to the Eagles. Christian Derisaw, 13 to the Chargers. Pay 14 to the Vikings. J.C. Horn, 15 to the Patriots. Caleb Farley, 16 to the Cardinals. Micah Parsons, 17 to the Raiders. Aziz Ojolari, 18 to the Dolphins. Zayvon Collins, 19 to the Washington football team. Mac Jones, number 20 to the Chicago Bears. And then we just had Jalen Phillips go 21 to the Colts. And Elijah Moore go number 22 mm-hmm. to the Tennessee Titans. Ben, this brings us up to... Number 23, the Jets. Offense, defense. You got to tell me right now, gun to your head, which one it's going to be. Go. I always go defense, and I always get yelled at by Jets fans because they're like, we need an offensive line. And I'm like, okay, uh, you can get offensive linemen later. It's a very good tackle class. You really don't need a tackle. You need a guard. You can get guards late. You guys have no starting corners, and you have one starting edge. Like, let's let's be serious here. So, I guess defense? I oh. It's, it's tough. If we're looking at defense, Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, and Aziz Ujolari are off the board, though. I think it's probably... Yeah, but Greg Newsom's still there. Greg Newsom is still there. This yeah. is true. All right, so let's get right to that 23rd pick here. The New York Jets on the clock once again and to help us get a good look at what the Jets might be thinking at 23. A little different. I think a little more on the board than what we had at number two. We have Joe Caparoso, who is the founder of Turning on the Jets, and also, you know, he manages the Badlands Patreon that they do. They also have an awesome New York Jets draft guy that just came out, which y'all should absolutely go see. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, so getting to 23. I'm sure we're going to go through the roster plenty over the next 15 or 20 minutes. But I got to ask you about Sam Darnold. You're, you're, you're so plugged in to everything that's happened with New York Jets. I got to take the chance to pick your brain on what happened with Darnold, the price that they got back for him with him now going to Carolina, and just your overall thoughts on what went down with him and his short career with the Jets. Well, overall, it's disappointing, right? This was a guy we were all excited about. I, I don't think anyone thought he was a reach with the third overall pick. I think there was maybe a little concern about giving up that much collateral to move up a few spots. But at that point, the Jets needed to do something aggressive to fix quarterback. And, and Darnold, inconsistent his rookie year, but finished the season strong enough to the point where he still had hope for him. Year two, better than year one. And the make or break year, uh, it just went south and it went south fast. And certainly the Jets did not set him up to succeed 
a weak supporting cast, arguably the worst coaching staff in the NFL led by Adam Gase. The Jets probably lost Arnold the day they decided to hire Gase, unfortunately, but it was time for both sides to move on here because as much as we love to make Gase the punching bag for all of the problems, Darnold did regress himself pretty badly in year three. And it's just so rare mm-hmm. to have a guy have the statistical output he did in his first three years where he is 38th of 40 eligible quarterbacks in multiple categories over his first three years, come back and become, you know, a top end starter. So now you're looking at a situation where you might have to pay him. You don't want to get stuck in between like the bears did with a Mitch Trubisky. Right. And I think, I think it made sense for both sides. And ultimately I think most of us thought the jets would get the Josh Rosen package and they ended up getting a little more than that. So we were relatively happy Uh, Most fans are relatively happy with what they got back. I think maybe it works out for Darnold there, but it was time for both sides to move on. I love whenever we have these two picks in the first round teams, because I can do all the responsible questions on the first guest and just the irresponsible questions of the second (laughs) guest. So I'm not here trying to make mock drafts, Joe. Uh, The Jets second pick in the first round, which we're going to have you selected for here at 23. Obviously we have our own simulation here. We're going to get to what I want to know is, is I look at this wide receiver room and I think to myself, I can, I can talk myself into it. Denzel Mims, Corey Davis, Jamison Crowder, but I can also talk myself into an early pick entering this rotation, still being able to get a significant number of the snaps. Uh, Davis Mims and Jamison Crowder, you would not describe any one of those guys as like super clear lockdown, 16 games, always healthy, definitely going to dominate. And so for you, what do you see an additional pass catcher as, as, as a potential early pick for the jets? Or do you think they'll just go for depth? I don't think wide receiver is the most likely position. We see them go at 23 or 34, but The board breaks a certain way. I wouldn't say it's completely out of the question. We saw them take Denzel Mims in the second round last year, although that was after uh, a trade back. I Mm -hmm. like their top four. It is certainly far from, you know, one of the best. Who's fourth in their top four? Uh, Keelan Cole, who they also had on a one-year deal. So better depth than they're accustomed to having. And what's missing, I think, is really a pure vertical threat. And this is a deep receiver class that, Maybe in day three, you can find that guy. So I don't know how high they prioritize it with some of the other needs on the roster. I would say it's better than where they started out in many years previously. But with how much talent is in this class, it would not shock me to see them use one of their third round picks on a receiver or even one of their day three picks. I can't see them sitting out this class entirely at the position because there is a lack of sort of pure vertical speed in that group. I think Mims and and Davis have some similarities in their game and and can complement each other. Well, Crowder, you know, more of a traditional slot guy Mm -hmm. Uh, Cole, I think is there, you know, for deaf purposes, but as a fourth guy, you feel good about him Uh, in that role. I think they'll take a swing. I just don't think it's going to be a 23 or 34 unless something really surprising happens. I really like what the jets were able to do during the free agency period. You know, they go out and they get Corey Davis, they get Carl Lawson, Vinny Curry, Sheldon Rankins, got Marcus May on the franchise tag. You mentioned Keelan Cole already there. My question to you, and it might be wide receiver, which you just went over, and if that's the case, I won't have you repeat it too much, but what signing in free agency or what move in general over the last couple of months most impacted what they might do at 23? Like really either took a position off the table or solidified that they should certainly go after a position here at 23. Which move do you think stood out from all of the free agent moves that they made? 
I mean, I think there's two, one positive, one negative. I think getting Carl Lawson, who I think may have been the best edge rusher available on the market, made that a lower need, especially because they also added Vinny Curry to further round out the depth there. And I think you look at the defensive front with those guys, with Sheldon Rankins, with Quinton Williams, with John Franklin Myers, you feel a little better about the pass rush than you did uh, before the league year started. I think what's been concerning and what will probably guide some of their decision-making earlier in the draft is they haven't made a meaningful addition to their offensive line yet. As it stands now, it's the exact same unit they had last year. They added, you know, Dan Feeney, a guy for death from the chargers, not someone you want to see on the field at all this year, but right now it's the same, it's the same five that they had last year. And I think while you were happy with tackle last year, they have to be much better in the interior offensive line. You cannot, compete with the trio they had of Alex Lewis, Greg Van Routen, and Connor McGovern uh, just running that back. That's not good enough, you know, from a starting standpoint and still not good enough from a depth standpoint. So the, the two needs that really still rise above the rest by a pretty wide margin, I would say for the Jets are offensive line and cornerback. I think there's less of a concern about cornerback because of how talented the pass rush should be. doesn't mean they still don't need a lot of help there, but offensive line when you're going to be starting a rookie quarterback, especially one who one of the knocks on him is his potential durability. you got to solidify that group up front. The other spot where they haven't made an addition yet that freaks me out is corner. Uh, Bryce Hall, bless Austin, Javon Guidry finished the season last year as the group that pretty much looks like the group as it is right now on the outside. I know when we had Connor on for pick two, we were kind of like, ah, they'll sign Richard Sherman at some point. They still haven't done that. You don't necessarily want to be at the point where Richard Sherman knows you have to sign Richard Sherman because then Richard Sherman gets a lot of money from you. Uh, at 23, I think offensive line 100% on the board makes sense. Like you said, no addition. How is, is that same thing true for corner? What's their internal evaluation of that room? Doesn't necessitate that first round pick. It's a position that needs a lot of work. I think, you know, Bryce <laughs> Hall showed some nice signs down the stretch, but you're talking a five, six game sample size on a two and 14 team. You don't want to, I don't know, uh, count on that too, too much. Bless Austin could barely even stay in the starting lineup or stay healthy last year. Counting right. on him as a starter would be very risky. Same deal, you know, in the slot. Hopefully they bring back Brian Poole, who at this point, I think you could get for very good value and, can be steady in that position and add a veteran presence would feel a lot better. Also, if you got a guy like Sherman or maybe a Steven Nelson in here on the outside, just to, you know, round out the depth a little bit. I do think it's a position that is very much on the board for them. Uh, maybe with multiple swings uh, in this draft, because this group really has to still be built from scratch. You know, Bryce Hall, you know, was a fifth rounder. Uh, so they, and he's their most sure thing right now, a fifth rounder who started, you know, five, six games last year. It was, exactly. Okay. Like he, he looked okay. It's not like he was one of the best cornerbacks in the league. So there, there's still a lot more to be done there. I, I still skew more being more worried about the offense, especially with the rookie quarterback starting, but yes, corner on paper is still very concerning. How do you think their approach to this pick here at 23, obviously the one at two will, will have plenty of weight as well, but how do you think this pick at 23 will be different or shaped now that Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur are in the building. Those two guys, when you think about the defensive mind of Sala and the offensive mind of LaFleur, how do you think that might impact 
this pick at 23 if they go either direction because of different defensive systems they might want to put in and a lack of guys that might fit it currently on the roster. It's going to be interesting to see how much, I don't know, Joe Douglas's quote-unquote philosophy this early in his tenure changes uh, with this new coaching staff and if they prioritize uh, a certain type of player over a different type, uh, maybe less at 23 and more so with some of the the middle round picks. I think there Mm -hmm. were a couple head scratchers last year from the Jets. Maybe they proved to be good picks. I think a lot of us wanted to just say those were – Adam Gase influenced picks. And I'm talking about taking, you know, James Morgan in the fourth round, a guy who I don't think will ever even be the backup quarterback here. The Michael P Ryan, who I'm not sure is even the third best running back in a very weak running back room right now. We'll see how those guys ultimately shake out. I would have to think the thing that influences everything the most has to be that this coaching staff theoretically aligned on moving on from Sam Darnold and putting all of their eggs in Zach Wilson's basket and I would have to think in the building, they will learn from the mistakes they made with Darnold, where in the year they drafted Darnold, they didn't have a second round pick. Their first pick that they took after him was an interior defensive lineman. And they took a, you know, a slot cornerback and the other pick after that. They really didn't use the rest of that draft to add any meaningful help around him. So I'm going to have to think that supporting Wilson in as many ways as possible is going to take precedent and there's going to be confidence internally that Robert Sala is going to be able to coach guys up. Even if the position doesn't look good as paper, we're as good on paper. We're going to take a flyer on Jared Davis, a former first round pick who stunk with the lions, but Sala is going to coach him up and he's going to be a good enough starter here. Maybe our cornerbacks don't look good enough on paper, but we have a elite pass rush and we have a good safety in the back end in Marcus may, and the scheme's going to cover it up. I think offensively, Less proven, obviously. We're all excited about LaFleur, but he's a first-time offensive coordinator, and you're going to have a, a rookie quarterback. I would have to think early in the draft and overall in the draft, it's going to tilt more to offense. Right. I, I do want to ask then about that running back position you brought up because you said LaMichael Pirine might not even be the best guy. Ty Johnson, Tevin Coleman fills out the rest of that room. There's no doubt the Jets could use a better running back. So I'm not going to ask you about that. Instead, I'm going to ask you this. Pick 23 comes in, cards submitted. It's Najee Harris slash Travis Etienne slash Javante Williams slash whoever your running back one is. I don't know. How are we feeling? Because the running back conversation, value, first-round pick, whatever is a tough one. Mike LaFleur coming from a Kyle Shanahan offense that's been able to put undrafted free agents back there and get crazy production. If the Jets do go running back at 23, do you think that's a big miss, or is this position so bad that, you know what, it'd be worth it? I w- it would be concerning. I, I think we've just seen mm-hmm. too much data the other way that indicates running back is so much more dependent on the surrounding situation. And especially with the offensive system, they're going to run where you can rotate through a lot of different guys in a platoon situation and find production. What, you know, why can't Ty Johnson be the jets version of what Raheem Mostert ended up exactly. in San Francisco. So the jets roster just has so many holes at positions that are more critical to go running back at 23, especially coming off when you took a big swing at running back with Le'Veon Bell and it just flat out didn't work, would be surprising and, and I think concerning because, you know, you take Harris at 23, of course that's exciting. You're going to add some pop to your offense, but who's blocking for him? Um, and does that really help enough down to down for your rookie quarterback in a system, again, where we've seen guys just sort of roll through, whether it's Mostert or Jeff Wilson or when it was Tevin Coleman or Jarek McKinnon, 
just find a way to be productive enough where the offense could stay on schedule. All right, so let's put you on the clock here. Number 23 overall in this guest mock draft series. With the board the way it is, who would you be taking for the New York Jets if you were sitting in Joe Douglas's general manager chair? I mean, if the board breaks this way, I'm going to be very excited. I'll go Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah. Immediately slot him in as a, a day one starter. Uh, on our interior offensive line, maybe he eventually kicks out to tackle when George Fant, you know, his contract's up. But he... At 23, feels like a perfect match of need and value, most importantly, and could be a day one plug-and-play starter that really helps Zach Wilson. And to have him and Makai Becton growing up together on that offensive line uh, is incredibly exciting. You know, whether it ends up being him, you know, Tevin Jenkins has become a popular mock pick for the Jets as well. Mm -hmm. I think most of us would be very excited to see them get an offensive lineman of that caliber at 23. I think originally there was a lot more pessimism that those guys wouldn't be there. It's starting to swing the other way where I think there is a decent chance. And and if they aren't, then I think trading back or cornerback could end up being the move. But in this situation, I I would be very happy with Vera Tucker at 23. Do you feel like offensive line is is kind of the way that they're moving? Obviously, if Vera Tucker can make it to 23, like you said, it's such a perfect pick. But let's say if Vera Tucker's off the board earlier and you know one of Tevin Jenkins or Christian Darrisaw is there, you figure that J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan on the, aren't on the board. You still think that they would go offensive line? Do you feel like that's where they might be emphasizing? I think so. You know, I, I think you saw the Mekhi Becton pick early last year when maybe they could have went receiver. You have to think that it's something they're going to continue to emphasize as a priority. You know, we, I try not to put too much stock in, you know, press conferences, but it's something that, you know, Joe Douglas beats to death about building in the trenches. He comes from that background where everything you hear about him is his focus is on building up front, building the right. offensive line, his first ever draft pick, Makai Becton, right. He took another offensive lineman around four last year and cam Clark. We'll see whether he shakes out, you know, to be anything or not. I would have to think it would not be surprising at all to see them go first, uh, go offensive line in the first round again with this extra pick. And I have to think that was some of the thinking in this Jamal Adams trade in that Jamal Adams is great. Our safety isn't moving the needle and helping whoever our eventual quarterback is in winning games and making him better. Let's get enough resources and assets to help whether at the time it was Sam Darnold or who the next quarterback is going to end up being in Zach Wilson by having enough picks to get a first round offensive lineman the same year that you draft your new quarterback. Those are the wide words of Joe Caparoso. Go check out turnonthejets.com and the Badlands Patreon. Like I said at the beginning of this interview, they just put out a New York Jets centric draft guide. You got to go check it out because Joe and everybody over there does fantastic work. Joe, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you for having me. So the Jets landing two offensive players, Zach Wilson at number two, and then Elijah Vera Tucker here at number 23. We're going to have number 24 with the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up after we read a couple of ads here for you. Got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at a fair price. This collection features high quality, fine jewelry that will be the surprise and delight to whoever you are giving it to. If you are on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring that someone will treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around long, so find them right now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at 
BlueNile.com. And then we got to mention the best tasting protein bars on the planet. Couldn't go halfway through the pod and not talk about BuiltBar.com. They've got 18 amazing flavors, including lemon almond cheesecake, German chocolate cake, coconut, raspberry, orange, double chocolate, caramel brownie, whatever kind of protein bar you like, I guarantee Built Bars got you covered. They're low in calorie, low in sugar, but also high in protein, high in fiber as well. Head over to BuiltBar.com or use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED, and then 1-5 at the end to get 15% off your next order. Use that promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off off the best tasting protein bars on the planet over at BuiltBar.com. Hey, and one more reminder, this year, Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network, ooh, that's us, to cover the NFL Draft live. Get all the insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts, which includes Ben and I. You can subscribe to Locked On NFL's YouTube page and watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft April 29th through May 1st. Now we're up to the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 24. We got a repeat guest for this one is just because he was one of the most entertaining and insightful guests that we had on the series last year. This is Christopher Carter, the host of Locked on Steelers. Chris, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, fellas. Always great to be on the great show you guys put together. Well, we appreciate the kind words there for sure. Now, first question, we got to get to the bottom of it. And I need mm-hmm. an answer here. You can't say both. Oh, man. No no team was more Jekyll and Hyde than the Pittsburgh (laughs) Steelers were, right? I mean, like, they start 11-0, which was wild. Any team that can start double digits and zero to start an NFL team, I mean, it's crazy. I don't care what the circumstances are. Then they go on to lose five of their next six games, including their wild card loss to the Cleveland Browns. And so, you know, when I looked at some of the moves they made this offseason, it kind of feels like they're bringing back a lot of the same guys. Now, some of that, maybe they didn't have a choice. Maybe this truly was the best team that they were going to be able to field. But that makes it feel like it was a lot of last year's group. So tell me, which one was the real Steelers? The 11-0 and Steelers or the 1-5 and Steelers down the stretch? Well, it, I think it all depends on what this draft is going to be like, guys, because when you ask that question, the, the key difference for me was when the Steelers were running the ball at the beginning of the season, a lot of people forget when they were when they were on that first initial part of the win streak, the first six or seven games, they were running the ball well. They averaged like 130 yards on the ground during that stretch because they were getting the ball to James Conner and Benny Snell, and they were saying, hey, let's let's work these new wrinkles that Matt Canada, the quarterback coach who's now the offensive coordinator this year, um, but let's let's work him in and, and, and get some different looks here to keep uh, defenses on their toes. But as the season went on, you saw Ben Roethlisberger kind of take control back of the offense and say, hey, it's clutch, it's clutch time. Like, and, and it's funny, it was those big wins, because those were the defining wins, I think, of the win streak, where the back-to-back beating the Titans and and the Ravens all while getting their bye week passed over because other teams were messing up with COVID. Um, I I think that those wins, but in those wins, you saw Ben Roethlisberger just kind of just scrap the game plan and just be like, all right, let's do this. We're just chucking the ball. And as you saw later in the season, He's just not like he Ben's more cerebral than I think he's ever been in his NFL career. But even so, in doing that, he's not the Peyton Manning, you know, you know, you know Drew Brees, you know, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes type of guy that's uh, it's picking you apart every time you expose a weakness like Tom Brady does. And he wants to be that guy, but he's just not. Um, but when you look at, you know, where the Steelers were, if they had finished with 100 and averaging 130, even 120 yards last year, they finished like in the top 
12. You're uh, you know in the top in the top 13 of all rushing teams last year. They finished dead last averaging 84.4 yards per game. That's because they didn't have a ground game last year. If they draft their running back and fix the ground game and, and make it at least a balanced offense, like, hey, just rank towards the middle of the league, I think they will be much closer to being that team that went on that win streak last year than they were the team that lost, what, five of their last six games last year. Yeah. Now, you you said, listen, when they were able to run the ball, this offense was effective. I think you're right. I think they'd like to run the ball better. If they asked me, I would tell them to invest in the offensive line. Apparently, they're going to invest at running back. And Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane, uh, Jalen Samuels, this is not a great running back room. Now James Conner left for Arizona. It's a bunch of middle round day three picks who have not really established themselves in this rotation. So there's room to add that early running back. We've all heard the rumors. It's going to be Najee Harris at 24. They love him. Do you think that this running game needs a new bell cow running back to be successful or should the Steelers be going early on offensive line, build through the trenches and then use a rotation behind them and be just fine? Well, see, that's just the thing. I actually wrote about this for DKPittsburghSports.com for for uh, for, for Monday morning. Piece, people, go read the piece. Go read the piece. But it's it was a piece I wrote. I said because what's being asked in Pittsburgh is, man, aren't this aren't the Steelers just really bad at drafting running backs? Because they've taken a running back for four years in a row in those middle rounds. James Conner in twenty seventeen, Benny uh, Jalen Samuels in twenty in twenty nineteen, Benny Snell or twenty eighteen, Benny Snell in twenty nineteen, and now Anthony McFarlane in twenty twenty. And they're going to take a fifth one this year. So like, man, they've missed on there. But I was like, well, wait a second, let's look at the numbers all those guys remember James Conner may have been third round but he was a comp pick he's outside of the top 100 picks and when I looked at historically in that time for since 2017 there have been 61 guys picked after the after the top 100 and only six of those guys have produced a 900 yard season or being one of the top 60 rushers since then and one of them was James Conner so I was like, they're, they're not bad. It's just that everyone stinks at picking running backs back there. Oftentimes, the guys that hit on the day three picks or the or the, top, or the outside of the top 100 picks, they're lucky picks. They're not. It's not like there's a science to picking those running backs, which is why I think that's important to get the guy this year or in the early rounds. It's like, hey, we tried to gamble for the last four years to see if we could stumble upon that running back you know, who could be the Willie Parker that was undrafted and became a, a key runner for you for years. It just didn't happen and you look at this and you say okay now if you get that guy you know I, I, another more numbers to compare I was looking at BJ Finney the center they got back uh in free agency this year but when, when he was a, a, a backup center for the Steelers in his first four years in the NFL you look at the 13 starts first of all when he starts on the 13 in, in those 13 starts behind uh Marquise Pouncey they were 11 and 2 in those games but when I looked at the, the the rushing numbers, I found some interesting things. One, and again, B.J. Finney, backup center, undrafted, not a high-profile guy, just a decent, you know, scrappy kind of center that you just plug in the middle of your line. But when you looked at the numbers, they averaged 125 yards on the ground in those 13 games he started. But when Le'Veon Bell played, they averaged 176 yards per game in those games. When he didn't play, 96 yards per game. I think that they're seeing is like, look, if we just get a dynamic running back, our offensive line may not be top five in the league anymore, but they can be good enough to, to, to make some pushes here, which is why I, I'm emphasizing if the Steelers can trade back in the back end of the first round and see if you can still get one of your top three running backs, because to me, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, any one of them will do for what they need. And then you can double up on the offensive line on day two and then get yourself a defensive prospect and feel good about the whole process. But to me, 
getting the bell cow running back. They have to do that this year. If they don't, I don't care who they draft on the offensive line. They're going to have problems next year. All right, so we got the we got the blueprint for the offense right there. Let's flip sides and go over to the defense. I mean, you've got the big names that you would expect to see on a Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Steelers step chart, right? You got Cam Hayward, you got Stephon Tuitt, T.J. Watt, Devin Bush, Alex Highsmith. You know, you got Minka Fitzpatrick now on the back end. I mean, like there are some big time names here on this Steelers defense. But when I look at corner and when I look at the moves that they've made, getting rid of Nelson, not having Holton anymore, you know, like these. Those are big misses to me. I like. I feel like corner is a huge need for them. They're still believing in Joe Hayden out there is what it looks like to be their CB1. I mean, they're, they're probably going to be starting Justin Lane. How much faith do you have in this cornerback room and have the moves that they've made over the last couple of months made it to where they've got to really pay attention to corner early on in the draft? I do think that they need to pay attention to cornerback. Um, I think that's another position where they could go on day two specifically, or if they feel one of those day one guys falls way too far and they're like, ah, we'll, we'll take a corner and then we'll worry about, worry about running back later. Um, but one thing to point out for those who think because Steven Nelson's gone, Cameron Sutton's going to play outside. Now, something that was reported on, on our website, DKPittsburghSports.com by uh, my colleague, Dale Lolly, he reported, you know, well ahead. He was like, listen, Cam Sutton, when he re-signed for the Steelers with a, for a two-year deal, part of his negotiation was he wanted a chance to just battle to start an outside corner. And that spot was that he was going to battle for was Steven Nelson. And according to Dale Lally's source, Steven Nelson didn't like that. And that's why he was like, well, you know what? If I got to prove to you that my spot is something you can challenge for, count me out. Now, now I, I know you guys watch football on your own, but to me, when I evaluate the Steelers over the past couple seasons, Joe Hayden's still a better cornerback. Now, Steven Nelson has a high, has a longer trajectory because he's younger, but Hayden's still running with guys, trailing guys, playing the ball well, and, and playing into your scheme well. They weren't going to get rid of him. I, I still think it's a possibility they may sign him on for an extension with a thousand void years to keep him around for another for another year. Because who knows how void years work? I don't know. But um, <laughs> but 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 I, I think that they're going to be. That's part of the plan is to keep Hayden around for maybe another year. Keep Cam Sutton. He's going to kind of develop into the Deshae Townsend type of guy that they had in the late two thousands who can play in the slot and outside. And I truly believe they're going to draft a cornerback or a safety who can play in the slot this year. And then Justin Lane and Brian St. Pierre, the guys, Brian St. Pierre, uh, Brian Pierre, the, the, guy, the guys behind them, um, they're all going to be duking it out for that slot spot. And whoever gets it, that's going to be a starter. And then they're going to see, okay, who's the immediate backup on the outsides. But I don't think they're done adding to the DB room. I do think that they're, they're, they're going to invest there. But it also might be one of those safeties who can jump in the slot. I, I really like Sean Wade from Ohio State um, and a guy that I've covered for the University of Pittsburgh for the, past, for the past year, DeMar Hamlin. I think that if you can get him in the fourth round, you'd be in a really good spot for a safety who can help you deep but also jump in that slot. I want to ask about a different position, but real quick, you brought up Justin Lane. Are they going to get anything out of him? Because I feel like that pick's been dead in the water since the day they made it. Yeah, I was I was one of those guys. Like, there's times in training camp where he's flashed some interesting things, but it, it's tough to see that manifesting. I, I got to say, I mean, in, in Brian Pierre out, out, it kind of was an undrafted dude. He came on the roster at the end of last season. He was getting snaps over Justin Lane late late in the year. Um, that's it's Justin Lane's got this year to show out. Otherwise, he's going to be out the door. Like you know, they're going to keep him around for his rookie contract and then mm-hmm. bounce him after next year. But you know, but hey, you know who knows? He he still has the size. If he can just you know turn him, you know, work hard and turn himself into you know a, a fully complementing number two corner, maybe he's part of their long term solution. You know, for a short time. Well, I'd say I guess a short deal after his rookie contract. But right now, I would lean against it. I do think that their plan is to invest at some point 
point either late on day two or early on day three in the secondary to find someone who's going to contribute earlier rather than later. Uh all right, I do want to ask then about Edge. This is the spot that interests me here in terms of potentially early pick that we don't anticipate. You draft Alex Highsmith on day two. Yeah. He is able to play after the injury to Bud Dupree. He impresses after the injury to Bud Dupree. You're able to let Bud Dupree walk in free agency, and now you have T.J. Watt and Highsmith next to him. And Highsmith, second-year player, don't know how much faith you want to put behind him, so I'm curious what you think of their internal eval on Highsmith and how much confidence they have in him. But behind both... There's very little depth. Uh, <laughs> you mean there's right. no depth? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So Ola Dayney just uh, he's gone for Tennessee. Cassius Marshall was horrible when he had to play last season. Uh, that like they were stronger at edge last year, and they made it a priority in the draft. Do you think that they're going to do so again? Which ties into that initial question: How much faith do they have in Alex Highsmith? Well, we'll see. I, one, I think that they do have faith in Alex Highsmith. Um, I, the, the, the dude is a hard worker. He is a, uh, you know, he's, he, he learned things very quickly for them last year. I think they're very confident that he can be a good pair with TJ Watt. However, they do want a, a, a third guy to have in rotation. Now he won't be a day one pick. You know, I've seen some people mock the Steelers getting the edge and on, on, in the first round, I'm like that, that ain't happening, but I can see the date. You know, again, I really think the, the, the mix here is if they get a running back in day, uh, you know, in the first round, one of those day two picks is going to be a defensive player. And I would not go against it being an, an edge rusher, um, you know, depending on what, how the centers fall. Cause I think that's the other position of priority that they'll be looking at in that, in that uh, on day two. Um, but again, the reason that they drafted Alex Highsmith was because they knew the writing was on the wall. They knew Bud Dupree was going to get an $80 million deal from some, from somewhere. And, and they weren't going to be able to afford to keep him, especially when they were like, okay, COVID's going to hurt everyone's pockets. There's no way we can afford to keep that guy. And, and um, that's why they, that's why they drafted Alex Highsmith. They said, we're going to give this a shot. And if it doesn't work out, you know, we, you know, maybe we get in a, a guy in free agency next year, but they're confident in him. I think that them, them not going out and signing a, you know, an older vet to play on the edge kind of shows that they're confident in him. But I do think they will right. be looking around for those day two, you know, at, at worst early day three guys to say, Hey, who wants to come in here and be the guy that fights with Alex Highsmith for playing time? Because I think it's, it would behoove them to have that good rotation of edge rushers. I mean, you see a lot of, a lot of NFL teams do that to keep their legs fresh. You know, a, a couple guys that, that I really think could work out for them. Um, I, I like Dalen Hayes as a day three guy. If, if he's around there and you're like, Hey, maybe he can help you with off ball linebacker and the edge rusher position. Um, you know, and I, I had the, the, I had the, 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 uh, the privilege to cover uh, both Patrick Jones and Rashad Weaver for Pitt this year. Either one of them. I, I like Rashad a little bit more because of his bend and how explosive he is and how quick he can, turn around the edge uh but patrick jones would be a great day three pick if he if he can get there in in the early part of the fourth round even if they have to trade up to get him at that point um either one of those guys they fit in well and i think that they'd be good for fighting for snaps you don't want them starting right away but you'd be happy with them battling alex highsmith in training camp this year this is the last question for me before we we get to who you might be picking here at number 24, but I just want you to go a little bit deeper on Ben Roethlisberger's situation because, you know, he's under contract for 2021. He's 39 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about in, in the first question when we were mentioning running back and how important a run game was for him, how the second half of the season, it just seemed like Roethlisberger wanted to take over and almost be like the 33-year-old Roethlisberger, and he's just not that guy anymore. Do we think that this is probably the last year for Roethlisberger? And if that's the case, are the Steelers enough right now? Like, does he have enough in the tank 
to help them get where they want to go, basically? Or did what you see of Ben Roethlisberger last year kind of show you that, man, this, you know, him coming off the injury and then him trying to play a, a role he wasn't comfortable with last year or maybe one that he was used to before and isn't the same guy now? What's just the big overlooking quarterback? I think that they can win next year with Ben Roethlisberger. I, I think that they can compete, but they have to do two. They have to do two major things. One, they have to make sure that the defense is ready and healthy. Um, you know, Alex Highsmith has to play up to, to the level that they saw him play up to last year. Um, I think that they need to get another guy in the secondary to help in the slot and help with depth at cornerback or, or, or safety. Um, but then they need to make sure that they don't lose a Devin Bush next year. Cause that to, to me, that's when things started to fall apart with, for them on defense where they couldn't consistently stop the run and cover the middle of the field. Um, and then offensively get the running game going. You get that top running back that Ben Roethlisberger trusts because it's not just the offensive line. Ben, I mean, we kind of got, you know, the, the, the feeling that Ben, it was about him trusting, okay, am I going to trust James Conner on this third and five when we need to get this in the games on the line? Or am I going to trust Benny Snell? You know what? No, I'm going to trust Juju. I'm going to trust Chase. I'm going to trust Deontay or James Washington and trust myself. And I think he needs a primary back that he can look at and say, I trust that young dude. So they do those two things. Ben's fine, but Ben cannot win it for you on his own. He needs to be a cog in the machine rather than the guy behind the steering wheel. All right. With that understood, then the Steelers in a position maybe to win, uh, make another push with Ben Roethlisberger, maybe looking at, at, at a future run instead. I'm curious. We're here at 24. We have offensive linemen on the board. We do have all three running backs on the board, corner and edge, the dark horse positions like we've talked about. Chris, the keys for this draft are in your hands. Uh, <laughs> who would you pick if you were running the Steelers here at 24? Okay. So I want to say this with a preface to say it. If this was really me, I'd be trading back. I'd be looking for an option to trade back here. But because these are all first-round mocks and we're trying to do this for the sake of the show, I pick Najee Harris. Now, I pick Najee Harris because he, to me, is the typical Steelers type of back that you get right. early on, like Le'Veon Bell. Great vision, power, explosiveness, quick feet, you know, can can make the guy miss at the second level and at the first level, can turn a one-yard gain into a five-yard gain and a five-yard gain into a 30-yard gain. Now, he doesn't have the home run speed of Travis Etienne, but I think Steelers fans would love a Najee Harris and what he would do quickly. And I think it also speaks, you know, positively that uh, he, the first the first person on the Adam Schefter podcast, when he said, well, who did, who made, who made you, impressed you the most uh, in, in, in all your interviews? And he said, oh, well, the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, it was that was the first team that came to his mind. Mm. You know, I, I think there's some mutual interest there now. And of course, mutual interest doesn't mean Jack when it's just who picks you in the draft. But I think that there's a fit there. Now, the question is, is, you know, in this mock draft that you guys handed me and I saw the slate, um, you know, uh, you know, Najee was the first one off the was was still there, but I've seen plenty of mock drafts where Najee's picked by the Dolphins and they have to go they have to go somewhere else. But here's the other situation that I present to you guys is that if I was actually Kevin Colbert and in the draft room and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this draft boards, I'm like, hmm, some teams might want to trade up for Tevin Jenkins or some teams might tra trade up for uh you know for Zaylen Collins and uh, you know all, all these other guys. Let's see who jumps first and, and, you know, put a feeler out there. And if the Saints or the Chiefs or the Buccaneers, if one of those teams says, hey, we really want to move up to 24, we'll switch, we'll flop first round picks with you and we'll give you a second or a third. I take that deal because especially if there's three running backs on the board by then, you're saying, hey, we're dropping back five spots. At worst, one of these running backs is getting picked before then. And then we still get one of the other guys that we really like that fits our system. And then on day two, we're probably getting a center. 
and an offensive tackle and an edge rusher or a mix of, you know, an edge rusher and a linebacker or an edge rusher and a corner along with the center. Cause center to me is, 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 a, is an automatic day two pick for the Steelers. Uh, but yeah, I, I go with Najee Harris in this draft. I just think he fits a lot of things. I'm telling you, you put him in the offense right now. Um, I know people are saying, man, that offensive line stinks. I think if you get you you see what Adrian Clem's going to put together with these guys. David DeCastro was hurt a lot of last year. Um, he came into the season hurt, and he wasn't able to really rest. As everyone knows, they didn't have a bye week. So um, I think you're going to see him healthier. I think that Chuksakorafor has gotten better. Zach Banner really didn't. Get, he only played one game last year, and he was the guy they wanted to start at tackle. Um, and Kevin Dotson, I think, is one of the most underrated guards in the league, and I think he's going to prove that this year the way he was starting to prove it last year. Um, you get a dynamic running back with that, as I think Najee Harris can be, I think they'll be just fine. They won't be the best running game, but they will put up enough balance there so that Ben Roethlisberger can say, all right, now I could throw the ball, you know, 30, 35 times a game as opposed to 45 to 50. See, he's got the whole plan, folks. I mean, this is why <laughs> this is why we bring Chris on because he's just he's got it all he's got it all laid out for you. Who they're picking in the first round, the second round, the plans there, offense, defense, man. Go follow him on Twitter at Carter Critiques. He hosts Locked On Steelers. Listen to all his great work covering this team because you know this twenty minute snippet that's just the tip of the iceberg for the insight that Chris is able to give into that Pittsburgh franchise. Chris, thank you so much again. This is fantastic. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, fellas. Always fun to be with you guys. First running back off the board, number 24, Najee Harris going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's all of the mock drafting that we got this episode. Before we let you go, got to remind you guys that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, it's all still in full swing. Bet Online's got you covered for all the news, the scores, the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to their website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sports book experts. We got the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns coming up next. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.